Welcome to the Nixon Now Podcast. I'm Jonathan Lavroitis. How did Ronald Reagan emerge as a national figure and come to challenge Richard Nixon for the GOP nomination for president in 1968? Here with us to discuss this is Dr. Gene Coppelson. Coppelson is president of the New England chapter and on the board of trustees of the Theodore Roosevelt Association, an active Churchillian and a Holocaust educator. As a historian, he has published works on Theodore Roosevelt's Great White Fleet, Ronald Reagan's 1966 campaign, and Mexican-American voters, the 1968 Nebraska and Oregon Republican primaries, and Washington State Republican politics in the 1960s. The Robert F. Kennedy Memorial featured his research on Robert F. Kennedy as an inspiration, as an inspiration to Nazi hunter Simon Weisenthal. His research on Reagan and Eisenhower was featured in 2015 at the 125th commemoration of the birth of Dwight Eisenhower at the Eisenhower Presidential Library. He's a medical doctor, an oncologist by training, and the author of a new, very well-researched book called Reagan's 1968 Dress Rehearsal, Ike, RFK, and Reagan's Emergence as a World Statesman. Uh, Dr. Copelson, welcome. Jonathan, thank you so much. Now, why did you decide to write Reagan's 1968 Dress Rehearsal? I very much view the 1980s, the age of Ronald Reagan, as a golden age for America and for the world. He accomplished so much in, in terms of the economy. Uh, he created 25 million real jobs. He restored pride in America. And without firing a single shot, he defeated communism and with the fall of the Soviet Union. And I wanted to learn why and how he first sought the presidency. Books have been written about his win in 1980. And also the time in 1976, he challenged incumbent Gerald Ford. But very little has been written about his actual first campaign for the presidency in 1968, other than the occasional sentence or, or paragraph. And I thought that was a missing important aspect to uh, American history, international history, as well as what we understand about Ronald Reagan and the origin of all he later would accomplish. And what I learned during my research is that, number one, that story of the 1968 campaign is indeed a completely untold history. The few people who addressed it before concentrate on the Miami Beach Convention for the few days uh, in the summer of 1968, when Richard Nixon, of course, becomes uh, the GOP nominee. But the story of Ronald Reagan uh, extended 21 months before that. He ran a campaign for the presidency for the first time, whose story I tell. The second aspect is, unexpectedly certainly for me, is that during my research I uncovered the brand new relationship never known before to historians that behind the scenes in the 1960s, Ronald Reagan had a hidden mentor on domestic politics and on world affairs, and that was former President Dwight Eisenhower. People don't associate Reagan and Ike and I fill that story in, and in fact, in my opinion, it turns out to be the more important history than just about Ronald Reagan's first presidential campaign. And the third thing is that Ronald Reagan's foe, politically, during the 1960s, was not actually Pat Brown, who he defeated for the governorship of California and the father of Jerry Brown, but it's Robert F. Kennedy. People don't associate Reagan and RFK. But that's the third main theme of my book and their political fightings. You, can you tell us a little bit about the research that goes into this book? Um, it includes newly uh, uncovered audio tapes from uh, candidate Reagan's days as governor, the Eisenhower-Reagan correspondence, and Ike's post-presidential diary and interviews with 35 grassroots 
Reagan activist from 1968. Could you tell us a little bit about uh, some of the the substance of this of this research and how it helped with, with this? Yes. Book? Oh, I'd love to. Let me tackle the latter first because that was my first goal. What I did is through uh, research uh, of newspaper articles, googling things like that. I uncovered the names and was able to track down roughly 35 grassroots activists who still are alive, who were the main basis of Ronald Reagan's 1968 campaign for the presidency. Their stories have never been told. I interviewed all of them either over the phone or many of them in person. They live uh, in Wisconsin, Nebraska, Oregon for the most part. And the reason those particular states are, are critical is that in 1968, they were the three main primaries of political importance for the Republicans. Uh, Americans who even remember anything about 1968 tend to think of the Democratic side, uh, Eugene McCarthy versus Robert Kennedy, and the point where uh, President Lyndon Johnson decides not to seek re-election. But the GOP side has really never been told before, and Ronald Reagan specifically targeted those three states. What he hoped to achieve was uh, to have his head above the other candidates in Wisconsin, the first major spring primary, so that people would see him as someone beyond just California. And then the next goal was Nebraska, where he hoped to achieve 20% of the vote. He actually did better than that. The third and, and most important primary for the Reagan camp was to be in Oregon. The original hope was that he would win Oregon. That did not turn out to be the case. Uh, Richard Nixon's supporters were too strong. The next goal was for him to score almost 50% in Oregon. Well, that turned out also not to be true. Uh, Nixon did extremely well there, but Reagan still got uh, more than 20% of the vote. And because Reagan was going to be the California favorite son and would get 100% of the vote, the original plans were to sail into Miami Beach with unstoppable uh, political wins and, and get the nomination. But their stories have never been told before. And what Reagan basically did is every free weekend, he left Sacramento and gave political speeches and set up his grassroots activist offices, especially in these states, uh, in Wisconsin, Nebraska, and Oregon. And they became his political offices and political staff, whose, again, stories have never been told and form a lot of my research. The second is a treasure trove of information at the Dwight Eisenhower Presidential Library. The Ronald Reagan files there that have not been looked at before by historians. There's a series of back and forth letters, telegrams, and uh, also mention made in those of phone calls between them. And it's a story also that brings to light this political mentorship that was done of Reagan by Dwight Eisenhower. Uh, the third are audio tape recordings at the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library of the years when he was governor. Every single speech and press conference that he gave on the campaign in 1966, as well as during his years, two terms as governor, were recorded. And I sent away for the ones relevant to my research, basically 
his out-of-state speeches when he was running for the governorship and when he was governor. And when I sent for those, the archivist said to me, Gene, I've been working here for 25 years. No one has ever asked for them before until you did today. And I spent tens and tens and tens of hours listening to Ronald Reagan and that his voice that we all know so well from the 1980s, here I was listening to, and I did not do anything in terms of his domestic policies and domestic politics as governor of California. That has been covered by others. But when Ronald Reagan in the 1960s was discussing world affairs, Vietnam, the USS Pueblo incident, the Tet Offensive, how to deal with communism, and actually the origins of the anti-ballistic missile defense that would turn out to be the Strategic Defense Initiative 15 years later, he was speaking about all of these issues in the 1960s. And he kept referencing Dwight Eisenhower. And that was the critical link between what was going on uh, when the press would ask him at press conferences all about these world affairs issues, Vietnam, etc., his constant references to Ike tied together with the research I had done at the Eisenhower Library. Also, there were four critically important personal meetings between the two men. I interviewed one person who was actually at their first and longest meeting at the Eisenhower summer home in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. As soon as Ronald Reagan became the GOP nominee for governor in June of 66, he traveled east to meet other Republicans. Because he won the nomination, he became a, instantaneously the rising star of the party. But who does he meet with? Dwight Eisenhower, who had been mentoring him beforehand. But that was part of the research and all of these stories from the people, as well as the analysis of what's in the Reagan and Eisenhower libraries, has never been told before. And for me, it was a thrill to be able to write about it and convey this brand new history. Uh, through your research and, and writing, why, was Reagan in 1968 ready for the presidency based on his mentorship, based on his um, ex, you know, experience at... Um, you know, as a um, as a, uh, a union leader and activist in Hollywood, and as uh, governor, he'd only be governor of California for one year. Why did he feel like he was ready to run for president in 1960? Well, actually, his campaign began before he assumed office. Within just a few weeks of him becoming governor-elect, he assembled his uh, campaign staff because he wanted to bring the same small government solutions that he. Uh, won the governorship with of individual freedom and small government to the nation as a whole. And within the first six months as governor, he achieved a lot of his goals, and he wanted to bring that to the nation as a whole. At that time, he certainly realized that he was brand new. Could he really be president? Given the subsequent presidential backgrounds of people such as President Obama, uh, uh, no executive office, never having to hire or fire people, negotiate, only being a community order organizer and a uh, state senator who was absent for many votes. Certainly looking back, Ronald Reagan as governor 
of California, even though that was new, but his prior experience being a strident anti-communist uh, and leader of the Screen Actors Guild certainly can qualify him. Dwight Eisenhower was never in politics before he ran for the presidency. His background, like Ulysses S. Grant, was in the military. And of course, now Donald Trump, his background in business. So there's certainly other examples uh, where one can become president or seek the presidency without many years in politics. And indeed, the American public, uh, as is true at present times, may favor someone who has not made politics his lifelong career. I mentioned Pat Brown uh, and his son, uh, Jerry Brown. I believe both of them, just as one example, spent their entire careers, as did Joe Biden, the former vice president, in politics, never having uh, set up businesses, uh, had to hire people, fire people, make strategic decisions, meet a payroll, have people dependent upon you for their living. When, when you always work for government, uh, that's a certain mindset. That the, and and uh, uh, Ronald Reagan's was a fresh approach. But he did uh, realize that he couldn't immediately publicly seek office. Much of the campaign that I write about was stealth. He denied very, very often when the press asked, are you running for the presidency? He would say no, but he at the same time was setting up these campaign offices the purpose of which was to gather delegates who would be there in Miami Beach and hopefully that if the people wanted him through primaries, uh, as one example, then he would readily accept the nomination. Since we are here in Southern California at the Nixon Library, um, which focuses on another political figure who was prominent in 1968, I have to ask this question. What is the genesis of the Nixon-Reagan relationship? Were they rivals? Were they friends? Could you touch the, upon it a little bit? I, 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 others have written about that. I touch upon it at numerous points within my book and research. They met uh, during the House Un-American Activities Committee uh, meeting that Nixon was uh, basically questioning uh, witnesses, and one witness was Ronald Reagan. Uh, and that was the first time they met. But they have a long intertwined history. When uh, Reagan actually becomes a Republican in the early 60s, when he is the co-chairman of the campaign for Richard Nixon to win the governorship of California. He had been a strident and strong supporter of Eisenhower and Nixon in 1952 and 1956 as well as in 1960. At one point, and I can trace and expand upon that a little bit, uh, Ronald Reagan had been a lifelong Democrat, but he was very disenchanted with the big governmental bureaucracies that FDR had created, as well as how he saw Harry Truman was mismanaging the war in Korea. And in 1952, before Eisenhower's political leanings were generally known to the public, he telegrammed Dwight Eisenhower saying, I hope you run for the presidency. I will vote for you. When it's revealed then that Ike is a Republican, Reagan reasons, you know, if I thought he was the best man for the job, even when I thought he was a Democrat, but if he's a Republican, well, so be it. And he became a Democrat for Ike. 
And in 56, he still was a Democrat, but throughout the 1950s, he was giving public speeches across the country as a spokesman for General Electric, espousing small government solutions, individual freedom, and strong anti-communism. So in 1960, he becomes very vocally for Richard Nixon, and John F. Kennedy and Robert F. Kennedy's dad, Joseph Kennedy, becomes enraged. How come this actor, Ronald Reagan, who we thought was a Democrat, is supporting Richard Nixon? So he tries to, he calls Ronald Reagan to try to convince him to publicly come out for his son, JFK. And he says, no, I'm a Richard Nixon supporter. Well, of course, as we know, Richard Nixon loses. Uh, of course, history records that he may, in fact, have won, given all the voting irregularities in Illinois and other places. But regardless, JFK becomes the president. And uh, two years later, when Richard Nixon runs for the governorship, uh, Ronald Reagan uh, becomes the California co-chair. And at one particular uh, evening here in Southern California, he is speaking on behalf of Nixon to an audience, and a lady yells out from the back room, Mr. Reagan, uh, you're strongly supporting Richard Nixon again. Have you switched to becoming an official Republican? Are you still a Democrat? And Nixon sa uh, Reagan says, oh, I just haven't had the time yet to make that party change. And the woman runs up with the party change paperwork. He fills it out in front of the audience, and at that point, in the middle of that Richard Nixon campaign, becomes an official Republican. Wow. In 1964, he was a very strong supporter of conservative Barry Goldwater. Uh, Richard Nixon supported Barry Goldwater, and a number of liberal Republicans of that era, such as Nelson Rockefeller, did not, and Reagan was livid that they did not support the party's candidate. Um, and thus, he had a very lifelong relationship with Richard Nixon, and I can certainly expand upon that uh, throughout the decades. But th those time periods was when uh, that relationship basically formed, starting in the late 40s, consolidating in the 50s and 60s, uh, prior to uh, the late 60s. You write about Ike's, and talked about earlier, about Ike's influence on Reagan. Um, can you describe that influence specifically and how Eisenhower acted as a mentor to Ronald Reagan. He acted as a mentor with these four personal meetings as well as letters and phone calls. Specifically in the area of domestic politics, it begins in the mid-60s. They had a mutual friend, Freeman Gosden, who was known to history as the co-creator of radios Amos and Andy, and all three men played golf. And Six months after Barry Goldwater loses in a landslide to Lyndon Johnson, Ike gets a phone call from Freeman Gosden saying, uh, Mr. President, uh, Ike, uh, what would you say if I told you that the well-known actor Ronald Reagan is thinking of entering politics? What advice can you give him? And the very next day, Dwight Eisenhower pens a very thoughtful, multi-page, multi-step political plan for Ronald Reagan to follow should he decide to enter politics, including making a strong statement of his political beliefs, speaking to the press, saying that 
He supports the party and its wide political tent that there's room in the GOP for conservative Republicans, for moderate Republicans, and liberal Republicans. And twice in that letter, Dwight Eisenhower uses the term common sense. Ronald Reagan takes that term common sense, which of course originated during the American Revolution with Thomas Paine's book Common Sense, that becomes his campaign theme. And all over California, there are billboards as well as letters sent out to the public with, the, with, with those words, common sense. And whereas in 1952, Dwight Eisenhower called himself the citizen soldier, Ronald Reagan called himself and patterned this after him, the citizen politician. Twice during the time he's running for the governorship, when Reagan is falsely accused of being anti-Semitic, Dwight Eisenhower, behind the scenes, help him, advises him on how to fight those charges. He also advises him to concentrate his campaign for the governorship of Northern California, helps him with some interpretation of polling data. When Ronald Reagan wins the governorship by almost one million votes, he sends a telegram to Reagan of congratulations. Within three weeks of Reagan becoming governor-elect, Dwight Eisenhower sends a letter to the Republican National Chairman Ray Bliss, offering to host a luncheon for all prospective 1968 candid candidates for the GOP nomination. He's looking ahead already two years. On that list, prominently right there, is Richard Nixon, some other people as well, but also Ronald Reagan. So in my humble opinion, Dwight Eisenhower had mentored Ronald Reagan entering politics, how to become governor, and now uh, for, as a potential president of the United States. And then he begins to mentor him on world affairs through phone calls. And critically important, there are four personal meetings. Because in the future, during these audio tapes that, that I have, Ronald Reagan often would say, I learned this from Dwight Eisenhower when we played golf together. Even long after Ike is dead, when Reagan runs for the presidency the third time in the late 1970s, one of the hot-button political issues was whether or not America should turn the Panama Canal back to Panama. And Reagan, uh, Reagan is at a debate on that subject. And in it, he starts to talk about what Eisenhower had told him on the golf course about having a quasi-national a corporation run both the Panama and Suez canals. There's a long history that I go through in my book's epilogue, tracing the continuing influence of Dwight Eisenhower throughout the presidential years of Ronald Reagan. And indeed, one of the major achievements and goals of Ronald Reagan as president to lessen nuclear stockpiles, he says to the press, began with Dwight Eisenhower's 1953 speech to the United Nations when Ike was thinking of turning over America's nuclear arsenal to, to an international agency, but the Soviets had to agree, and when they don't, the whole thing falls apart. But that becomes Ronald Reagan's goals to achieve the unfulfilled goals of the Eisenhower years, and last, at one point, Eisenhower advises Reagan that to defeat communism, ultimately, we need a strong American economy and a strong American military. 
Fifteen years later, that's exactly what Ronald Reagan does to lead to the collapse of the Soviet Union. The other uh, leg of the stool of this book is Bobby Kennedy, who features prominently. Um, why did Bobby Kennedy's emergence as Attorney General um, in the early 60s to his, to his uh, older brother JFK, how did this have a profound effect on Reagan, Reagan's evolution in politics? Well, Reagan in the 1950s was this speaker for General Electric, espousing conservative views, small government, anti-communist, uh, individual freedom. And when John F. Kennedy becomes a governor, and much of this history is done by others, but it fits in naturally to the background of my own uh, history, um, they are horrified that as JFK and RFK by right-wing groups who they consider their dire political enemies. And again, other historians have documented, and a lot of this came out after the 1975 church committee hearings in the Senate, that just like headlines out of the modern era of the Obama administration, Ronald Reagan was targeted uh, by the RFK-JFK administration. And he loses his job as the spokesman of General Electric Theater. There are a number of different theories out there as to why that occurred. But Michael Reagan, Reagan's son, one of Reagan's sons, uh, said a couple of years ago in the middle of my book research that it was due to Robert Kennedy, that Robert Kennedy threatened General Electric that if you want to continue government contracts, you're going to get that host of GE Theater, Ronald Reagan, off the airwaves. GE complied. Ronald Reagan's show was canceled. And that's what he came home and told the family that day. And that was confirmed by both Michael and Maureen Reagan. Uh, and thus, that's the basis of uh, this critical importance related by Michael. Uh, if Robert Kennedy had not done that, his dad might still, to this day, be seen on Sunday night television as the host of GE Theater. But then, when Robert Kennedy had arranged that Reagan's show be canceled, Reagan had no career. That's when he turned to politics. So that decision came back to bite the left decades later. Uh, had Robert Kennedy only left Reagan alone, who knows? Also, uh, and I again, this is other historians go into this, but I, I reference it in my book. Uh, the Kennedys arranged for the IRS to audit 10 years worth of Reagan tax returns. Again, stealing headlines from today when the Obama administration targeted conservative groups and individuals uh, to target and harass them. What role did Ike and RFK, I mean, obviously, Bobby Kennedy runs for president in 1968. Um, Eisenhower still is that elder statesman uh, that year. Uh, what, are, what role did they play vis-a-vis um, -vis Ronald Reagan's uh, emergence uh, onto the national stage in 1968? Dwight Eisenhower uh, was advising Reagan on world affairs. But to my best knowledge from all my research, Reagan did not reveal to him, to Eisenhower, 
that he had set up all these presidential campaign offices across the country with the goal of grabbing the nomination. He officially ran as California's favorite son. And Eisenhower wrote a letter to him to that effect. So that's the main role that Ike thought Reagan was doing in 68, and that was to be California's favorite son. But I, I do not believe Reagan ever explained to Eisenhower that, in fact, he was truly seeking the nomination um, via the delegates winning at the primaries and thus gathering grassroots support of Republicans. Robert Kennedy uh, had, had a major role to play. He, again, was Reagan's uh, political foil, if you will. Uh, just as one quick example, when Reagan was running for the governorship, uh, Pat Brown had asked Lyndon Johnson to come uh, to help with his campaign, Pat Brown being the incumbent governor at the time. Johnson was ill, so Bobby Kennedy came. And Bobby Kennedy, who history remembers as have all the young people loved him, comes to Norwalk, California, and is greeted by signs from young people say, Bobby Kennedy, go home. This is Reagan country. We love Ronald Reagan. And I think he was shocked to discover that there were youngsters in America who loved conservative Ronald Reagan and not him. Fast forward two years to 1968. Uh, in that spring, when in New Hampshire, Eugene McCarthy, he doesn't win the Democratic nominee, uh, the primary there, but he achieves enough vote that that forces Lyndon Johnson to announce on March 31st he's not going to seek re-election. Uh, Bobby Kennedy had been thinking of entering and then makes an official announcement that he is going to seek the presidency. Ronald Reagan, when he hears this, is livid. His campaign had sort of stalled for a while. This Robert Kennedy announcement re-energizes and reactivates the Reagan presidential campaign. He brings in a complete new speechwriter and decides that although Robert Kennedy is now anti the Vietnam War, much of the policies of being an ally of South Vietnam were created by Bobby Kennedy and President John Kennedy in the early 60s. And Reagan says, Bobby, you, to himself, Bobby Kennedy can't just escape all that he created. We have to tie him to those failed policies. And he writes five white paper speeches that Reagan delivers over the next few months as major attacks on the foreign policy and defense failures of the Kennedy-Johnson years, the fiasco of the Bay of Pigs, the fiascos related to the Cuban Missile Crisis, how uh, the Kennedys allowed the Soviets to achieve nuclear parity, uh, and the USS Pueblo incident uh, when the Johnson presidency was paralyzed with indecision about what to do. So Reagan delivers these speeches. And in May of 68, this is just a few weeks before Bobby Kennedy is assassinated, he actually, on his campaign, starts to make some conservative-leaning speeches. He startles everybody when Bobby Kennedy says, big government solutions are not always the best way to go, and starts to push for private enterprise to help inner-city problems. Reagan hears this and says, gosh, it sounds like Bobby Kennedy is becoming Calvin Coolidge. And he, he attacks Kennedy for it. And 
the fact that Kennedy has run is a major, major uh, uh, stimulus to the Reagan campaign. There's one a funny Oregon uh, a little vignette that on in coastal Oregon there were two politically active brothers. One was for Bobby Kennedy in the Democratic primary. The other was for Ronald Reagan in the Republican primary. And the Reagan brother had owned a store, a building, but the other brother had set up the local Robert Kennedy campaign office in that store. So when the Reagan brother heard about that, he was livid. They started to fight. The police had to be called. And the solution was that the Bobby Kennedy campaign could stay in that office for two weeks only if they paid rent to the Ronald Reagan campaign. So there was a big ad published in the local uh, paper that I have as an illustration in my book showing Ronald Reagan for president paid for by the Robert F. Kennedy for president committee. <laughs> Final question. You know, you talk about Ronald Reagan being a favorite son, California's favorite son in 1968. Nixon also from California. Why didn't Reagan just support Nixon in 1968? Because he wanted the presidency also. He, uh, they may or may not have been an agreement between the two at a place in California north of San Francisco called Bohemian Grove where a number of politicians and industrialists meet once a year. And historian and, and uh, speechwriter Pat Buchanan, in a book he wrote about two years ago, feels that they had a, that is, Nixon and Reagan had a secret agreement that Nixon would go first, but if Nixon faltered, Reagan would then go next. If they had an agreement, it fell apart very quickly because of other things I go into in my book, quotes that Time Magazine said, Nixon said about Reagan, Reagan said about Nixon. Um, but there were many, many delegates who were committed to Richard Nixon on the first ballot in Miami Beach, who could not wait to vote for Ronald Reagan on the second ballot had that occurred. But it certainly didn't. Richard Nixon became the nominee, and instantaneously, as he had done before, Ronald Reagan enthusiastically supported Richard Nixon. And there's a wonderful photograph of the two of them driving little race cars together uh, during a, a Nixon visit to California uh, shortly thereafter. And he was a strong supporter of Nixon. In fact, fast forward to the unfortunate and sad Watergate years, Ronald Reagan, governor, was one of the very, very last and strongest ardent supporters of Richard Nixon, who only at the end had to concede that it was time uh, for Richard Nixon to go. He was one of the last you know, strong supporters of Nixon because he had been a lifelong supporter since that House Un-American Activities Committee meeting in the late 40s. Thank you very much, Dr. Kolb Koppelson. Uh, the book is Reagan's 1968 Dress Rehearsal, Ike, RFK, and Reagan's Emergence as a World Statesman. It was a pleasure speaking with you today. Jonathan, thank you.